there anything you want me to avoid? No. You see my I'm not shy. <laughs> I I wouldn't imagine so. Europeans, you know. Uh, well, firstly, I, right? I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, welcome to the Tragedy Academy, a show created to bridge societal divides in a judgment-free zone using candor and humor. Uh, Gary, how you doing today, buddy? I'm great. How y'all doing? Living the dream. Hell yeah. Right? <laughs> we are sitting here today with, we are graced with the presence of, I'm going to make, I'm going to see if I get this right. Nico Venison. Yes. Verizon. Was that really? Oh, Verizon. Okay. Verizon. Okay, good. Now that I have said your name over and over, everybody should remember who you are now, but Nico is a former Muay Thai champion, psychologist, and a coach with a very eclectic background that I cannot wait to get into. And I want to welcome you to the show. How are you doing today, Nico? Fantastic. Yeah, I'm calling from Colombia, Medellin, with the most beautiful city I've been in. So I like it. Yeah. Gary likes Medellin. Uh, I've only been to Cartagena, but... Like oh, Cartagena, Columbia. sorry. Yeah. I've, I've liked 99% of that trip. Mm. <laughs> That's why I said that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He got rolled the last uh, time he was in Colombia. Did, did, you, did you get scopolamine? <laughs> yeah. Did you get scoped? It was the... It was the police. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. It, uh, yeah, it was... I was I was being stupid. Well, I wasn't being that stupid, but I was out late walking around, and they saw me. You know, one of the ladies of the night came, started talking to me, realized that I was American by myself. <laughs> they went and shook me down for a bunch of money and punched me in the face a few times, oh. and a few more times. Luckily, you were not in Brazil. Brazil, you would be dead. You know, so. Actually, yeah, I, he knows everybody in Brazil. He'd probably been better off there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, but yeah, Brazil, I've, I've heard about a bunch of stuff, and I've had friends go through things, but I've been there quite a few times, and just never any of that stuff happened to me. But yeah, I think... You're not necessarily rolling with the weakest crew <laughs> either when you're in Brazil. Yeah, we used to got security with okay. us and a bunch yeah. of fighters, so it's kind of like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, the security's like crazy i mean it's like and you don't know that where they're at which okay. is like the craziest part about it like we got cut off by this guy one time and all of a sudden two suvs rolled up behind us and jumped out we didn't even know they were with us and like there it was just nothing happened but they just died? like i was like oh shit what the fuck's going on here and then they just got back in like it was like normal i'm like um and the guy driver's like oh they're with us i'm like okay <laughs> And also, but it's really cool that we're, we're starting off in this area because, um, I know that your career started with fighting, yes. um, and you dedicated yourself to what, you know, looks to be uh, a lot of Muay Thai yeah. and, um, living in Japan with Shuto and, and that kind of thing. Um, and then of course, Gary's background is he, uh, produced the, ultimate fighter for oh, nice. god forever in a day yeah he's the he was the executive producer of the ultimate oh, fighter so i didn't know that um, that's, that's cool. why i was super stoked to have you on and this was yeah, a yeah. surprise for yeah. you oh man that's a real surprise oh nice to meet you <laughs> cool well uh, you, you too i feel like i've met you before it's possible I, i've been in the states for a while uh, maybe i did turn of a may a while and i was gonna do uh yeah I was going to do the ultimate fighter and then I had my medical, medical chicks in Belgium and I found out I had two rectal detachments. Yeah. And my doctor was, he was, yeah, that's the most you can get. It was so funny. Like I, 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 I could Sorry. see, I could yeah. see in his, in his face. He was, he was trying not to smile. Like you can publish with this. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. I never heard about this. So yeah. Yeah. And then seven surgeries later, like yeah, I had to hang up the gloves. But uh, otherwise, I would have met you yeah. <laughs> back then, ten years ago by now. Yeah, that's that's a rough one. I know quite a few people uh, that have had similar, and you know, some they risk it and it goes bad, you know, and some, you know, Bisbing, yeah. he's you know, he's completely Except, fine. I believe in one eye yeah. now. I mean, I I I, 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 I went in again. I had seven. 
seven surgeries. So in the end, it was like, I don't know if I can still make it. And I liked looking at beautiful things too much. For sure, he called me, you know. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of beautiful things to look at in Colombia. The nature oh, is so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. There's probably some trees there. Exactly. So how did you become involved with Muay Thai and martial arts? And uh, when yeah. did you start? Well, uh, I was a little, little, really little scrounging fun kid. Like for me, I was a real boy. Playing was climbing trees and jumping from tree to tree and fighting. But like I was in Europe, so everyone was playing soccer. I thought it was for girls. I was like, what the fuck is that? Just kick ball. You can't even kick, you can't even kick each other. <laughs> I mean, I tried it out and then they sent me home and I couldn't go back because I was too wild or something. And so when I was 11, I tried to do Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, but I was doing more push-ups than anything else because I was too wild. So, so yeah. <laughs> it sounds very familiar. Yeah. It sounds very uh, military. And then when I was 14, a friend of me says, like, come to, to see a Thai boxing. Was Thai boxing, boxing. I want to do Eastern fighting sound. So I went my mind, Thai, I never heard of it. And so I went in and I saw this absolutely stunning woman. She was uh, the, the sister of the trainer, like absolutely gorgeous, like 45 kilos. She kicked. Like, I think 80 kilo guys in the liver and he dropped down. And I fell in love, not only with her, but more, more with the sport. And uh, I, I bought, I didn't have a lot of money, so I bought second-hand gloves and shin pads and have uh, protection for my uh, host parts and uh, a bit. And uh, for the next 10 years, <laughs> there, was, there was not a week that I was not training. I was obsessed. I was obsessed. It was my life. It was my, I always say that she was, she was my first spouse. Mojai. Yeah. I love it. How old were you when you, when you did that? I was that? 14. Uh, I started fighting after three. 14 yeah. is when you went over there? Yeah, it was in Belgium. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. unbelievable. Especially that you got the opportunity to exercise a passion yeah. so yeah. early on in life, whereas most people have to find that down their path. Some cross that path earlier. And of course, I think you would probably uh, agree, we'll get into later, that everything happens for a reason and we have our destiny doesn't necessarily have to be tied to where we no. start, right? No, like, I feel so very blessed. You're fighting. I feel very blessed, you know, like it's, I miss it every day I, that I can't fight no more. It, it, it's, it's painful. So for the... Well, now, now I can see fights again. I love want to see when they fight with those little gloves. I would love to do that with that many gloves. Uh, I love to to see the UFC again. But and I stopped jiu-jitsu for a while just because I was so bummed out. You know, I sacrificed everything. I sacrificed mm. the woman that I love the most, right? You know, I, I sacrificed my academic career, everything. Because, you know, I wanted to be a fighter. It was all that I lived for. And... Uh, and luckily, you know, as an athlete, you get paid to rest. But like most of my friends that were fighting, they were all playing video games when they were resting. I was studying because when I'm a nerd. I'm a big nerd. And so, yeah, then when at age 30, everything came tumbling down. Uh, yeah, I went through a real, a real process. And I'm still in the process, you know. It's, uh, I, I think people underestimate what it means if all of a sudden, before you decide to, you have to stop your passion, the thing you love more than anything in the world. Uh, I feel for every fighter, every athlete that sees his identity, his person, who he is or he, who she is, drop and then you're down. Who, who am I now? <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting. It's, um... It's interesting when we take on the persona of whom we are when we navigate society and our friendships and our relationships. We forget how fragile that we are in our psyche when it comes to who it is we believe we are and the role that we play in others' lives. And we take so much weight upon ourselves when those situations come to fruition where we're at a crossroads, like you're saying. You have the opportunity to embark on a new path as Nico, but at the same time, we go through more 
There is a period of time where we have to mourn the loss of who we were. But at the same time, we have to go through it. I think that there's a difference for a lot of people. They'll go ahead and tie a knot in their proverbial rope as a person. If we're a rope, they'll tie a knot in it and continue to use their rope. Whereas someone like yourself will say, you know what? I'm going to walk through this. I'm going to get the correct surgeries. I'm going to weigh out my options. And then I'm going to look at what can I do with what I've learned and see who the new Nico is because we're ever evolving. It's always now. It's never tomorrow. It's never yesterday. So in order to move, you have to continue to move in place and change. And it looks like you've navigated that very well. And I think people need to hear your story because to become stagnant is to give in to the victim chase. It's to get that thing with the cup holders and put your feet up because it requires no work going forward. Two detached retinas on a fighter, you could be the guy on the couch with a social security check or whatever it is and saying, I used to be a fighter. You know, that's a role that some people would take. But you're a psychologist. You're a coach. You you're affect change in so many different people. And I'm excited to hear about yeah. that. So, yeah, uh, before I stopped fighting, I was already working with some fighters that didn't have the money for a psychologist. So when I was in the States, when I was uh, three months in uh, Ithaca, New York, uh, in bomb squats, actually, the gym were originally... Yeah. Ithaca is the middle of nowhere. No, man. I love that city. It's so beautiful. In Canada, I was in Watertown. That's that's like uh, upstate yeah, New York, yeah. right? It's like at the city of Finger Lakes, Cornwall, right? Cornwall, Cornwallis. There was yep. so many waterfalls. They were fenced off because of all the Chinese people jumping because they can't fail. <laughs> but then I climbed over that so I had hmm. private. <laughs> I was like, that private uh, waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> the Adirondacks are beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, but yeah. Um, and so I was exchanging, you know, I was te- doing my psychology with them because I studied all that. And then they taught me jiu-jitsu wrestling a little bit. And, uh, and yeah, but okay. And then, and so when, when, when that thing with my eyes happened, I was like, yo, what now? But I was not going to sit still. So, so then I said, okay, I have my diploma. Let's, let's work around the burnout with people. Uh, Burnout and I, well, and then actually no. First, I was working with some some elite athletes. I had Lars Santor, he's a former two world champion. Then uh, I had Flam Fantasy, was Jiu Jitsu world champion. And then slowly, more and more, I was working with with organizational leaders. Uh, and that moment was something very interesting that I saw that that kept coming back. The people that had burnout, mostly between, is that. Very often, the burnout, the working like crazy, it's not a cause. It's a consequence. There's a reason you work 80 or 100 hours a week. Very often, it is because of an unsatisfying or an absent relation. I find that coming back time and time mm. again. You know where people... You did a couple of studies yeah. on that. Oh, yeah. You were a part of a couple of studies yeah. on that. I, I looked into mm. it perform with, or not perform with pleasure, but um, I'm sorry. The You had done one on a functional yes. measurement inquiry on the contribution of different life domains to overall yes. subjective yes. well-being. I thought it was super fascinating. Mm. I like looking through that. I love the, the psyche. I love the ego. And I love how we can beg, borrow, and steal from different portions of our own mind and not realize that we're pulling the same Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it's beautiful. And then so, but... I was quite challenged in relationships. I went from a very shy guy to really arrogant and to fuck boy. I didn't know. I was, I was a, the bad boy and then I felt bad. So I tried to give them some therapy. I was, I was something else. But I learned a lot about the relationship between men and women. And, uh, and so, yeah, all of a sudden it started to dawn on me. You listen, like there are three pillars where people that tend to go into burnout time and time again, I have to look at, first of all, is it, are you living by your own values, by your own principles, or are you living by rules? So many people think they live by their values, but then they are drained. Well, that's an indication that you're not living by values, that you're living by internalized rules. You're actually, actually a slave mm. that believes he is the master. 
That's one. The second thing is that you have like uh, problems with, with, with intimacy. You know, it can be with, with, with a romantic partner, but it can also be with other people. Whereby sometimes people lose themselves so much in, in, in the grind, in the push, that's all there is becomes second nature. And I, and I can look to myself, like, like I sacrifice everything for fine. Like I was rocky, I believed rocky. No matter how hard you get it, you keep on going forward. And to be honest, it seems cool, but it's dumb. Because that's the reason that I did not become yes. the multiple down world champ. That's the reason I did not enter the ultimate part. Because I never listened to my body. I broke my arm three, three times during a fight. Two times I won. One time I had like a speed decision loss. I, you know, and so many things. I never listened to my body. My testosterone levels. That's a persona that we play to. We pick that persona because you could be saying the same thing about yes. a painter, yes. a chef, uh, whatever. People will pick that role and they will do anything and everything to fulfill the requirements of that role. Yes. Whether you're looking at it, living in it, it is a character. And I say that because actors give us a clue all the time to who we are and how fragile the human experience mm. is. Because you're describing Nico Muay Thai champion. Nico Muay Thai champion does not quit. Nico, Nico Muay Thai champion shows up every day, plays with a bloke, or, you know, fights with a broken arm, whatever it is. Yes. Right? That's, that's who you're going to be. That's your role. But if we watch, actors can get so ingrained in a role. They call it method mm. acting. And we've seen some, some real fractures of psyche mm -hmm. out there because you can become a different person. Mm -hmm. You can be a different human at any moment in time. And it is that week. And when we're challenged in those moments, right, we're going to stick with the persona that we know the yes. best. Yes. Kind of dig yeah. in when in fact, you know, it's just a role. It's just a role. And when you realize that you're choosing all your feelings, you're choosing all of your perspectives, you're taking them from the outside in, then you don't realize that you can just look around at any given time without a role. Yeah, I, I, yeah. You can just I don't know if I completely agree. I agree that that's for sure a big part. But I also believe that there's a very powerful thing. I was very young when I was like this. Like when I was like, for hmm. my, my, like an old nephew, who was my favorite nephew, you know, he, he had a song for me, and to us, he's like, this is your, uh, I don't know how you call it, your anthem. He's like, and it feels like this. When I grow up, there's going to be a day that everybody has to do what I say. That, that, that's double. I believe that we have certain predispositions. But what I do believe is that you can learn to leverage those predispositions based upon those roles that you were speaking about. I truly believe that. Uh, I do agree with you. I think that authenticity is honestly the key to success. In those moments in time where you feel confused about what it is that you're supposed to be doing or what your role is, you should look back inside and realize that you're supposed to be how you mm -hmm. feel about yourself. You should be doing things that feel natural to you. And in that moment, the rest will come in turn. I found in my life and my changes in career path that they come at times where, you know, I needed to figure out that I was not being myself. The moment that I realized that I did have self and I had self-worth, that it was something worth loving, that it could show up to a room of people that have never met me before as me then I'm going to be greater in my roles. I'm going to be greater in my relationships. I'm going to be greater in my friendships, all those mm -hmm. things, because I'm not giving anybody anything to guess mm -hmm. about. And I'm not giving myself any stress because I'm people. I think that's the tough part. That's about the easiest fighting, thing to do. Though. It's the hardest step to take. I think it's the tough part about fighting because you don't get to choose when you're not that anymore. You, you, don't, you could be you forever with what mm. you do. But if you're a fighter, somebody else might make that decision. You might get hurt. You might get cut. You might. Mm. You know, if you're and to get to where he was at, like there's no half step in it. Like maybe you could have sat out a little for injuries and shit, but you're going to war with these guys in there. You yeah. gotta fucking be right. I mean, if you're getting cracked in the neck 
fucking knees and elbows. Like you got, it's got to be in you. That's not just something that you think's cool and you keep going back. Like those guys get weeded out way before you get to where you are at with the highest level of guys. You know, it's like, so I've seen it, you know, I've, I've done ultimate fighter for 40 seasons with mm-hmm. the domestic international. And for many of those, I did all the interviews for the show. So anytime you see them talking to the camera, they're talking to me. And I've seen the highest highs and the lowest lows. I've seen people's dreams just get crushed. I've seen them achieve their dreams that like I've cried so many times just in that interview shit. And I've been so happy. I've mm-hmm. cried and so angry at shit. And like, like, you know, even when the ultimate fighter went away for a few years, my identity kind of went away in a way. Cause I'd done that for so long. Mm-hmm. I've seen like which, the shit that you've gone through. Like I've seen how a lot of people don't make it out that they hit the bottle, they hit the drugs, they, fucking they mm-hmm. they can't figure out a way to deal with it anymore so i mean i'd like at least to like as much as someone that hasn't been through it can understand it i think i, I can understand it just by seeing it so many times it was it was so ingrained in me i was so dominant in my 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 my, my basic thing but while it was really funny because like i couldn't dominate i was very scrawny a little you know, it was a real interesting Paradox, you know, uh, but but I do believe that. But the fact that you figured it out, you know, you you went try to get the knowledge and things that you needed to know, and like you could use that to help other people is the most important thing, I think. Because um, that it's it's a tough one because like you don't get to choose. This is a veteran situation. Yes. A lot exactly. of veterans can uh, empathize yes. with this scenario yeah. because their career paths change immediately based on a single yes. moment or something That's like true. that. Um, I think that that uh, that you probably are giving them a great example to look to. Um, the fighter, just the uh, I, I think a lot of veterans look to fighting because they feel that um, a lot of camaraderie with that yeah. that group of people. Um, so to see your career change and you to thrive versus yeah. survive—that's you know—that speaks volumes to them it was not always easy because like i still the the thrill like the moment that i miss the most is the moment you're standing there uh just before you go on, on the catwalk you hear your name you see your bones in the ring i miss that moment every day every day it's funny. That's the moment I dream about that I always think would be like the best part about it. You know, I did best. boxing and some shit as a kid, but never with that moment. And I was filming the guys at Gamebird this week and they had a really long ramp going down and they, they come up the stairs and that fucking man, you could you see like the they go up six steps and they change on those six yes. steps from the cool guy that just gave you the pound to like their whole demeanor changes. Like it is fucking go time. There's no yeah happy fucking hey high five for most of them you know a lot of times guys run in the ring and they're like kind of smiling game bread and like these, these guys Dude, that's been different. brutal to watch yeah we ties like it's so cool it's always it's the been, best of the best yeah, like, primal I, yeah. I, I i never knew why tie boxing like just didn't catch on in the states like back in the you know i've been working ufc since 2003 yeah. and i was in the stand them up days where every time it hit the ground some drunk guy screaming stand them up yeah. like, there's a sport that you need to watch that already exists that is what you want you know like the knees and the elbows and that like it's it's always been there and one fc is the only one that's really been able to yeah. think, to do a good job with like marketing yeah. movie tights to the masses but they do it very smart you know like general yeah, I, I, after I fought Sunshine, you know, I didn't have a fight for six months. That's why I went over the day. I was training six hours a day. I didn't have to fight. Uh, probably something with management. I don't really go deep into that. But, uh, and then I went into, into MMA, and that was the real dream. You know? I wanted to be like the plus four guy. You know what I mean? I, and then. We grew up in that era. We all watched absolutely. Bloodsport. It was. You know, we all had a ticking sound in the background and we were blind and fighting all the time. Yes. It was our moment. It was the moment you hear when you're going out on the catwalk. That's what I think of. Like, I hear that. Like, I have my, everybody has their when they call my name moment. Some people, Mm. it's a Grammy. Some people, it's a fight. Some people, it's a video game. Mm. Whatever it is. But there's that moment where they feel at home. It's their time. They've been doing it. They deserve it. Let's yeah. go. That's a hell of a rush. Yeah, it's, it's the best thing. It's, uh, 
Yeah. But so soon, soon I'll, so sometimes I still miss that uh, job. So now I'm thinking, okay, perhaps I, I should find a way to talk to, to do public speaking so I can feel that rush in robots. It's not the same, but I think I would like that. And that's something I, I teach in us. It's scary. How's it feel when you see somebody catch what you're saying? Though, yeah. When they get yeah. it. That's got to be a great feeling. You know when you touch someone and that little key unlocks yeah. that one lock. Because you never know. You never know what somebody's experiences are before that day. And as long as you keep throwing those keys, it could be the first lock or the yeah. last lock. But man, when you see the last yeah. lock, it's like, ha ha. It makes you feel so Absolutely. good. Like one of the things that that I am really having an allergy to is the entire victim society that we're living. You can't say nothing. You you like like, and that's that that's a big problem in my eyes because the problem is that without like I'm gonna say a thing, and most people won't really understand. But a life without stress is a life without meaning. Because you have to think, why do you stress? Well, because you care, and if you don't stress, you can't don't care enough about something. Stress is the natural. Yeah, it's just yeah, about your body preparing you to thrive. And once you recently start to embrace this, and once you start to stop running away from that. In that moment, you can really redefine your life, redefine yourself. And then pain can become even divine. And I'm not talking about the bedroom, although that's also true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it's funny that... I like this guy, yeah, man. man. I, I like that you play both sides of the coin here. The, the stress um, is real, though. I would, I would agree. Yeah, go I ahead. I say that Gary? stress, like, you don't feel that shit anymore. Like, you're not fucking living. I was yes. talking to a friend like an hour ago and he works at a maintenance place and they clean factory floors. Yeah. The owner is, he loves what he does. When they have a big job, he said the guy has, gets so nervous and stressed out before they have to clean the floor because it's like a long process. Yeah. It's the one you can see the most because it's got to shine at the end and it's yeah. like they, they're going to come and inspect it. And like I was talking about how stressed out the owner gets the night before they got to do a fucking floor. And I was like, that's kind of dumb. I was thinking that earlier, but now, like, it's, I mean, it's not dumb. Like, that's his shit. Like, he dedicated his life to this large cleaning business where his mm -hmm. fucking identity is, like, if that shit ain't shining, like, he's the guy that has a cleaning business that can't clean well. Like, exactly. it's, you know, like, it's, but so he, like, it's nervous because he wants to fucking be good so bad that shit happens to me even before a fight every fucking time like is, is are my camera guys not going to show up is their flight going to get delayed is our gear not going to fucking make it is like am i going to fuck something up you know am i going to trip over something during the live broadcast and fucking all of a sudden you can't hear rogan anymore because yeah. they get over here you know it's like if i always get nervous about it and the moment i don't i'll know that like i need to go do something else yes thank yes. you that is so true like, if it's not worth stressing over, why are you even fucking exactly. there? Exactly. Well, we don't, we don't learn this. Yeah. And we don't, so we also don't learn how to say cool in things. That's, you know, that's what I think I do. I help people to make turn stress into your superpower. Stress and intense emotions. Also, part of that is like, how can you make conflict? Your conflict is good. Without conflict, for sure, in intimate relationships, you will have a stale relationship without passion. I don't say you have to scream. You've no change. Yes. But also, you know, like people have the idea that intimacy is this. Ah, your beer and she's wine. So you listen to wine with your beer. She's just some beer with your wine. Until you're like a mixture that nobody wants to drink. And then there's no desire because you're practically fucking yourself and who wants to do that? <laughs> That's a brilliant, brilliant insight. Who wants to fuck themselves? But then, you're, yeah. Well, unless you're like 16 and hiding. Yeah, but then if you learn to stand there and do feet, then something else becomes scary because then some, your partner doesn't need you anymore. But then something magical happens because when somebody doesn't need you, they can only then, they can truly choose you. They can truly desire you because to create desire, you need an obstacle. You need space to overbridge. And so then you have the space where there's a fire that can burn. And then you can come closer together and closer together and closer to yourself, but without losing the connection. 
The problem that I see also in wider society, if you have a disagreement, well, in that moment, aha, we block, we, we stop connecting. No, that's a problem. So what I believe in is when I work with some companies, they talk a lot about psychological, psychological safety. You heard of this? You know? Okay. So psychological safety comes down to uh, is, is, is a perspective where you dare to open your mouth. So you have four levels. You have belonging, you know, so you're, you're part of the group. You feel that you're accepted uh, and acknowledged as an individual. So you feel free to be yourself without being punished. The second level is learner psychological safety. In other words, you are allowed to learn. And what do you need to do to learn? Make mistakes. So you make mistakes in the right way. Then the next level is, okay, then we have contributor, where you can do your job, but you can you know, sprinkle your own little, little space somewhere. You know, you can sprinkle your own little herbs so that it's your thing. You bring your own um, input in. And then the next one, the highest level that they say is a challenger psychological safety, where you dare to challenge the status quo. Now, this uh, concept in the organizational psychology is really beautiful. However, it is too focused on the organization that has to organize this. And granted, with social beings, this is important. But what is very often forgotten is what I call internal psychological safety where you're able to connect with other human beings that has extremely different paths to your brain in offense findings and stay connected to the fact that you're both valuable human beings, that you realize that your vision of the world is biased, that their vision of the world is biased, and that by daring to step into the pressure cooker, that is conflict. But without, without dehumanizing the other, in that moment, there's something new, a new soaking drawer that everybody wants to make. Something that is more than something to bars. But these days, what I see is, I have, I say, A, you say, B, boom. We, we, we dehumanize each other. We go here with the polarization. People are not really talking anymore. And so what I believe is when you really want intimacy, whether it's an intimate relationship or with anybody else, with another human being, is ability to see your thoughts and their thoughts, your vision of the world and their vision of the world as hypotheses, as theories that could be true or not true, but are they helpful? And then stay connected to the fact that you're both humans with the same needs and with the same or similar needs and with similar, you know, wishes in life. I, I think it's really important. And, and we don't see this these days. People get cancelled. That's the most horrible oh, yeah. thing that I've ever seen. It's, it's wild for sure in the States. To not feel heard inside of the place you should feel the safest is a, a horrible place to be. Um, I'd like to piggyback on this as well. Um, two words, self-love. <laughs> in order to be that person in a relationship that has the ability to be mindful and recognize that there are two scenarios, You've got to love yourself enough to let them explode when they need to explode. You've got to know and recognize that they're being themselves and allowed to regulate however they want to regulate without you taking personal offense to it. When you take personal offense to it, the only time you do that is if you believe what's being said is real. It's hitting, it's ringing a bell, it's touching a fucking, it's doing something to you. And if you love yourself enough to know that those are things that are being said out of anger, then you won't take that as anything to move mm -hmm. forward with in the relationship. Yeah. Like, so self-love is very absolutely. I, I love how you put that. I haven't heard it like that, but it's absolutely true. It's, it's about learning to be non-reactive, you know, connected, but non-reactive. But Correct. stand your ground. Don't give in. Like I said, you don't want to get here where you're so connected, overly connected with the other person that you lost track of yourself. You know, so you feel like you're here, that mm. you're all way apart, but you're actually just over involved. Then people, when they do them, they separate, but they're both hurting because they were intertwined. And then you're going to look for somebody else to do the same thing. And yet the, then you have that 
continuous serial monogamy, you know, with a lot of pain that's not necessary. Or one person stands their own resume, or they, they, they stay here. And you said in the, in the past you saw more, you know, because there was no room to separate. The people were separated. They were just not living. They were numbing themselves, distracting themselves, mm. you know. And you see the same thing. This can also happen with your job, for example. We see people that are completely intertwined that identified with their job. They push everything in there, but they, even if they loved it in the beginning, they lost that spice because they're so intertwined. They don't see the difference between their job and themselves. And that's what happened to me too. I was here, you know, that's why I didn't listen to my body. That's why I kept on going. That's why my testosterone levels were half of what they are now. I'm 40 now. It was 25, my testosterone levels were half of what I was now because I got hit in the head all the time because I was overtraining all the time. Physically, I was a beast, but my body was not having it. And I didn't realize it because I was so identified with that persona, like you said, with that, 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 that role, mm-hmm. you know? And I see that a lot with a lot of very successful people, but when they look in the mirror, they don't see the person everybody looks up to. No, what they see is somebody is exhausted. They don't see the shine that they used to see inside. And they have their Maserati, they have their penthouse with you on Central Park, and they feel alone, even if there's no, no absolutely stunning lady next to them. <laughs> like but shit. they feel like shit to meet. Because they have become a slave of their own identification, of their own story. And now they cannot choose, yes. they cannot create, they cannot live. They're being lived. They're stuck in what they call the rat race. It's not the rat race. It's not the rat race. It's a dog chasing its own. It's its own. Uh... It's a hamster wheel. Yeah. Recognize you're on it. You're running in place. You need somebody to put a stick in the fucking tire so you can get off of it and realize you've just been repeating the same shit. You're mentally ill. And I got to say, if you're doing things every day for somebody else's dream, you're never going to be happy in your fucking cubicle. But you need to make your own dream and fucking pursue that. It might be under somebody else's umbrella and that's all well and good, but you have to be passionate in what you're doing every day when you get out of the bed. If you're not, it's not going to fucking work out for you. You can get money, you can get cars, you can get women, all those things, like you said, I've done it. And it doesn't mean shit. Every single time, it's a temporary high. Temporary high, temporary high, temporary high. Next thing you know, I'm going to be fucking jumping out of planes naked, you know, to try to get a rush or, you know, to feel better about life. And none of it's going to fucking fill it because why? I hate myself. That's a pretty good rush. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know. People are doing that now. Yeah. Naked skydiving? Yeah, that's a thing. I don't want to do that. Like, you crash it. Oh, he just, Nico's thinking about it, man. Hit the ground. Yeah. Well, you pull a shit, yeah, dude. I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure, sure yeah, that it doesn't always work. I'm not trying to yeah. die with my yeah. dick in the dirt. I don't want. I don't. Uh, right, don't want I don't want the, I don't want a bird to fly in my talk while I'm going down. Remember when that happened to that fucking actor uh, or Fabio? <laughs> like like Fabio on a roller coaster? <laughs> yeah. Did you guys see that back know. in the day? He Yo, was coming yeah, in oh, wow. right in the face. Yeah. we talked about uh we were talking to a uh falconry uh doctor for the abu dhabi hospital and she was talking about how falcons have really bad short they can see a long way but they're very poor nearsighted so if somebody steps in between them and the (laughs) the falcon returning They'll hit him at full speed, like right in the side yeah, of the head. miles an hour. Because they can't see. Yeah, that's not, that's not, well, that's some, some, some uh, brain damage. She would get a lot of them in there. They'd come in like injured because they hit, you know, Tom <laughs> in the head trying to get back to their attention. Oh, that's crazy. Tom, see out of the way, Tom. Um, so you have a lot of tools <laughs> in your toolbox. But there has to be a moment where you you open it up and you take inventory and you take stock, right? And I saw in your background that you took time and you went away. You were in yes. Bali. Um, you did some ayahuasca yes. retreats, things like that, yes. correct? Uh, uh, did you find that that separation from church and state gave you some of the, um, the 
foundation that you have now? So after my five year ended, I, I immediately started working, but I didn't have the spice. I, I, I felt empty. I was just going through the motions, you know? And I was helping people, which was, again, mm -hmm. a little dog message, but, you know, but then in certain moments, it was really funny. Then uh, I read about ayahuasca 10 years before, but there was nothing. I, I didn't know how to do it or where to do it. Um, and then at certain moments, a friend of me was telling about a friend of her that did it in Belgium. Oh, wow. So uh, I said, okay, I'm going to do it. And so I went, and my God, she, uh, the Madri, that's how they call it, you know, Mama Ayahuasca. She really fucked with me. So I took a little cup, the only one, and often those were giant hands that took me with the hair, but that pushed my nose into literally shit I could taste. So I had to puke, but I said, if I need to puke, I'll go out. But then it went away. But so I was there feeling me, smelling shit, and I shrugged. Like, you know, back in the day with, with the family in Ethiopia, the little little very scrawny kids with like the, the blown out belly. That's how I saw myself. I was crying, mm -hmm. shaking. I saw my father dying, uh, my uncle dying, uh, all the my heart side broke, my my loom loss, everything was horrible. So I was there, I think for an hour, just crying, puking, going really deep. So at the moment, the shaman was like, Jesus, he is going really deep for his first time. So he came, he blew some tobacco of me, they started to chant and off him. I started to grow. My chest started to expand. I started to feel hair coming out. I became a fucking gorilla. So I stand there like this, with my with my, <laughs> sing, with my fist so like that, like a gorilla. And I was doing this, and I could feel the earth shake. And so I felt on top of the world, That's a beast, I'm a real gorilla. And then, oh, the hat was there. No, 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 not a gorilla. You're a little scrawny, broken cheese. And it was like a titration ah. by those two things. And the next day, I was crazy. I was, I was completely, completely different. And um, at that moment, I was renting a house. I was renting a, a gym and I was renting a, a, a room in a group practice. So it cost me like 1600 euros. Only rent was ridiculous. So in Belgium, you have these organizations where you can rent out something for very cheap to avoid squatters to come in. And so I went there and they showed me a few things. And then they showed me, I'm not kidding, a fucking castle with, with like towers, with like a, a, a dish around, with a bridge. And so, a moat. A mo and, and a moat. The whole like nine. 10 minutes of, of, of Antwerp, the city, well, city in Belgium, a city is it's not even a town in the state, but okay. So the city in Belgium, Antwerp. And then, you know, I had my gym there. I lived there. It was already in the live books. You know, I had my gym there, the relaxation room, where's my room. And so I lived in a castle for four months and my life was feeling good. And then all of a sudden I heard of a, well, of a guy I knew from, from New York, from the States. Well, that's weird. And he said, how are you? And I knew in that moment, he was in, in Bali. I knew, and I knew it in a moment, this is my next step. So he invited me to go teach there. Yes. Yeah, no, just Donnie. Donnie, Donnie. They own the gym though, right? Yeah. Am I wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That's where, yeah. Yes. I, said, I met you there before. That's where I met you at. I don't know. That's where I know. I probably thought you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like so, yeah, and then probably. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that's too funny. What a small. Yeah. Yeah. My yeah. Yeah. maiden name's Leone, and I went to visit my friends in Bali, and then I was like, oh, oh those guys. Those guys fight for i think they fought for one and their brothers and they only yeah they fought through one and it just had opened yeah. like a year before yeah cool yeah last and then i was working with Tif tiffany van soost yeah uh, awesome. she's now like a multiple glory world champion she's amazing but then after a year you know it wasn't structured anymore and i needed something more uh and so then i met somebody that was doing online work and i was like why the fuck not? And so I stayed there and then I, and then I met, and I would always want to go into Tantra because, you know, a bit of a wild one. Mm. But 
the the thing was, and there's so much losers in there. There's so much very dangerous people. People that before didn't even dare to talk to a girl, besides when they're paying for it on OnlyFans, you know. Yeah. And then all of a sudden oh, they no. get powerful and they get very manipulative, very dark. And then they suppress all the dark side, you know. Oh, we all like so all those what I call fake floaty fuckers, you know. It's like fake mm. hippies, fake spirituality. I could feel it. I could feel that so much darkness. And I, but I knew it was, you know who's playing mm. the game. But then I met a guy that, that that was in this field already twenty years, and I I asked him like, do you know someone that's real? And he says, yeah, Uma is real. She is something else. She. She was also a certain moment attacked by the anti uh, cult leader uh, society. And so I was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so I, I went to sit with her and we were, we were just talking. And all of a sudden she started to hiss, like, I'm a scientist. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Was my life. When it was okay, like my friend said she was serious. She was just real. And after, like, I don't know. Like, Kundalini type of thing. Yeah. Are we talking about so, uh, here? That's why. After after so after thirty seconds, my lip was start doing like this. Oh, I like what the fuck? Like my head, and I was like this. <clears throat> I became the gorilla again, and my I started to drool two three liters. That was so crazy, and and so yeah, so I'm still friends friends with her. Like yeah, and in that moment, my scientific mind got a real beating because I could not explain it at all. Mm. And then so... Mm -hmm. This is a side effect of meditation yes. as well. Long-term meditation can create these types yes. of effects. Um, it's, it's really interesting how these manifest in different areas of the world, in different locations, under different conditions, yet they still show up the same way. <laughs> The way yeah. that you're describing facial yeah. contortions, arm movements, uh, energetic movements inside of the body that can take yes. place during meditation. They can take place when you get around people yes. like that. I wasn't aware of that yeah. kind of stuff until after I started meditating. And I was like, I don't know what this is. I don't like it. I grew up in the yeah. South. So I figured I might have yeah. been going to the devil <laughs> or some <laughs> shit like that. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's really mind-blowing when you do cross that threshold mm. of what is supposed to be logical up until yes. that day now becomes something that is outside yes. of that realm of possibility. I'm with you, man. I've, I've walked through a couple of these, and it is mm. mind-blowing. And it's actually, yeah, I'm a little excited, as you can tell, because... It's not often that you can talk about these things with people because if they haven't experienced it, bit. you sound like you're batshit yeah. crazy. And and then there will happen some more weird things. So I, I do hypnosis, like, you know, as part of my toolbox. And I started with hypnosis actually because when I was younger, I had a girlfriend that had went through some horrible experiences with meth, and so she couldn't she couldn't orgasm. And so I went into the literature and I found. You know, the nose and she worked like a fucking child. So the moment I just touched her here and she was coming like for for half an hour. Oh. It was really interesting. Wow, so wow. but then then so I, I was around all these these hippies, you know, in Bali, all those people that are doing yoga and they were all they all want to Kundalini Wake. They were talking about it all the time. And then so Always. interesting, and then he has a friend, like like a girlfriend of me. She was Muslim. She was not. She it's you talk about chakras. She stood up and went away. She was real so sick of all that fake uh, spirituality. And all of a sudden, she calls me after like a day, after a while, like Nico, 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 Nico. I have a problem. I'm shaking all down. Like you're shaking. Yeah, yeah. Like for the last seven hours. I'm like, oh wow. It's hurting. No, it feels fantastic. I say, like, how does it feel? You know that wound orgasm that really shook my entire cover? Yes, that's what's two on the scale of 10. This is 15 for the last eight hours. And so then it clicked. I said, oh, that's, that's Kundalini. So I said, please do not fight against it because mm. it will drive you crazy. Mm. And learn to accept it. Learn to embrace it. Learn to open it. Learn to, learn to relax it. See, Jesus, okay. But because she was doing a lot of praying before, she had trained her mind. 
So she started meditating and literally in a week, she was a completely different person. A completely different person. And I was really jealous because like, I want to walk around in, in continuous orgasm all day. Mm, spiritual envy is Jesus a thing. Christ. And spiritual envy is a thing. But it's really interesting because like, it went from from yeah. through me to this woman. Okay, cool. So a few months later, I was working on a, uh, on, on a retreat for, for feminine uh, entrepreneurs. And I did a group hypnosis where I really connected them with the universe that they bring in the, the energy of the stars and feel them in their body and breathe out tension. They're just, just relax to end up the day. At night, somebody came knocking at my door Another same thing. And I was like, oh, and she couldn't sleep. She was freaking out. And I was like, okay, you know what I want to do? I was taken back. So I was sitting there. You can imagine. I'm a scientist. You know? I'm a psychologist. I'm sitting there like this. And I'm making a sound effect. I'm not kidding. <laughs> if somebody sees me here, they can walk their hands off. But so I'm kidding. I suck you all the so after like 15 minutes, she's like, oh, thank you. Now I can go to sleep. So I go in my bed. Yeah, I couldn't sleep eh, for two days. My hands were on fire. I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? So, so yeah, that, that was a real interesting bunch of things that happened there in Bali. Uh, then there was COVID and then I couldn't fly to, to Europe for like six months and, I, and then my grandmother died and I was okay. Well, if this shit is going on, I have to be you. So for the moment I could fly, I went back to Europe. But then in Belgium, certain moments, the numbers went up, people were freaking out. I was like, okay, where is it green? Oh, no, no. So I went to Portugal and then I stayed there. Uh, and a certain moment, they also, they also came along. Then I have to be honest, it was really hard. I didn't realize how much of an extrovert I was. Uh, I was really fucked with me. But then luckily, I danced. And I was on Tinder. And I used Tinder to find the dance partners. I do Kizomba, uh, Bachata, Sasa, a bit of tango. And I was somebody that, that did tango. Because there were a bunch of real hippies that lived off grid in a, in a self-made tent in the middle of nature. Zone. And they were doing tango lessons in the middle of London. I was like, fuck yeah. So I went to do tango and then I met people that were doing contact improvisation. So they were rolling over each other during COVID. It was so funny. So I stayed there for like two years. In Portugal, it was really nice, but it was a bit too slow, you know, for me to really stay there. And so then, yeah, then I went to visit a friend in Colombia and then I went to Thailand. And now, I don't know, but what I do know is that there's so much we don't know, and it's so exciting. It's so exciting to not know. I was listening, yeah, I was listening to a documentary um, the other day that was saying, like, that matter only makes up, like, 2% or some ridiculously small amount of what is everything around us. And I used to have this real problem psychologically trying to rectify what it is that we're talking about, that there has to be something versus something. There has to be an outside to an inside. And one of the things that started running through my head was um, kind of like if you were to look at a model and you, like a model of a room with furniture or whatever in it, if you pushed clay down into it and you pulled it back out and looked at it, that is something. All of the space that is represented inside of that is something. We just can't perceive it with the things that we have. Our senses aren't picking that up or they've been suppressed. We don't understand it. We're afraid of it. We're led to believe that it is things that it is not. I come from the mindset that if I'm being myself 100% as best I can be and these things do come to fruition, then they're supposed to happen in the way that they're supposed to happen yeah. to me. Simple as that. Yeah. Beautiful. You get what you give. You know, for the most part, I think it's like, put out negative yeah. energy and you're around negative people. Like, where's the positive going to come from? 
Yes. It's very true. Do unto others is a real thing. Mm -hmm. Because when you do unto others in kind ways, it comes back in kind ways. Nobody wants to do you bad if you've always been cool yeah. to them. It's a lot harder to be an asshole, you know, or to be a dick to a nice guy. What is your psychopath? <laughs> right. And then there, therein is the answer. There's nothing you can do yeah. about that. No. A psychopath exists because they it's, exist. Yeah, there's like, it reminds me of like research in the band Apple where they saw about performance and, and lobbying in work teams and they just put an actor that was a bad apple or he was very critical or he was giving up and really the level of performance and lobbying of the group went down extreme but what I but that but then I didn't think the most interesting the most interesting thing was that if in a dysfunctional team they put a good apple the same thing happened. It raised the standards. But that is the thing. And then when I go back mm. to the psychological safety, to me, what is a real powerful human, a powerful man or a powerful woman that is such a good apple? And it's somebody that is non-reactive, that can keep their radiance, their joy, their beauty, their goodness in the presence of people that are attacking them, in the presence of people that are trying to insult them. And I have a beautiful example. Mm. I don't have too many heroes, but one hero of me is Daryl Davis. Do you know Daryl Davis? No. Oh, oh man, no. you have to look him up. You have to talk to him if you can. Well, no, I will now. So Daryl Davis sure. is uh, an African-American jazz singer that personally converted more than 200 Bluegrass Klein members and Nazis. And you know how he does it? He has conversations with him. He is, for me, the ultimate example Beautiful. of internal psychological safety. He goes into conversation with them. He starts asking them a bunch of questions. And by being non-reactive, by demonstrating, modeling to them that their ideas are faulty, he transforms their entire people. They hang up their cake. You know, and that is a tool that I think that we all learn so much about when you learn to not take things personally and stay connected with your shared humanity well then you can have real passionate relationships because in that world they're real fulfilling relationships because you acknowledge each other's differences but you stay connected with the fact that we're all humans that is what i love i hate i really really hate the entire agenda of canceling people, of anti-racism. Anti-racism, oh, sorry, is the reverse race. It's race to racism to white people. That's also racism. That should be comfortable. We are people. Let's try to acknowledge that we are all people. Let's try to empower people. I see a lot, you know, people that start from a good heart, for example, want to do charity in the uh, lower income, areas, but then they disempower because they're subcommunicating, oh, you poor African-American, or you, you poor person of Mexican descent, I will help you. And they can feel good about themselves. Yes, I am somebody that helps them. But yeah, you're not helping them, you're hurting them deeper. It's like an overprotective baller. She takes all the way, all the chances for the child to learn, to create some resilience, to become a, a bus that can survive the world and can thrive in the world. He's stealing that. You selfish person. You're a selfish woman or a selfish dad if you do that. Why? Because you don't feel good about yourself. See how good of a dad I am. See how good of a mother I am. See how good of a person I am. But you are not. You are using this construct that literally disempowers people. What can make difference? Well, you have to invest in how creating people, creating opportunities for people. Like in Belgium, we have a few guys that are Moroccan, and in Belgium, there are very often people that are on the lower scale of the income stream. But some of them are standing up, becoming entrepreneurs, being a real example of a like, listen, you don't have to do something illegal to be successful. Look, we can do it. If I can do it, you can do it too. And there are things that I would love to see more when in lower income areas, 
you create structures that remind people, all people, that they are so strong, that they are so smart, that they are so capable of revolutionizing their life. In that way, I truly believe in the American dream, even though I'm an American. Because but that will not happen if you can't, if they don't see it. If you see all around of you and nobody's doing it, everybody is slacking off or doing criminal things. Well, that's your normal. You, you don't see another way out. That's when then only the few that have an opportunity very often through sport, they can get out of it. So I, I hope that people get a grip and instead of giving people things, this is, is, is subcommunicating. We have high standards, but I know you, mm. can, you can handle it. Let me help you. Let's, let's do this together. I think that's a beautiful outlook on life and, and an approach as well. Um, I like to subscribe to what I call the lighthouse theory. Um, we're our strongest when we're acting as we're intended to be through our example of yeah. strength. Other people will find a lot more vision from you if you are being yourself as strong as you can, as hard as you can in place living in the now. Other people are going to take that as an example that it is okay to be themselves, to be strong. When you're a lighthouse, you don't go out and influence people. People take their direction from you being you. You're sitting there. You're not doing anything but what you're intended to be. And when you do that, you're not slapping the face of whomever or whatever made you because to think that you know better is a slap in anything's face that created you. Be you. The world deserves you. To not be you robs the world of what they're supposed to have. You're actively keeping people from seeing the wonder that is you. And that's selfish. I read that on the uh, wall in my dentist's office and it had like a water. <laughs> you asshole. It was home goods. You know yeah. that. It was <laughs> live, laugh, and love. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's above my toilet. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but it's true. You are robbing people of your true potential. We all deserve to see what we people could tell. are capable you know of being. That cliche so, as fuck, but real yeah. recognize real. Like, you know, when these people, like, you see them on protests, they jump out of their BMW and fucking write Black Lives Matter on some shit and dive back in and back to the fucking valley and leave whatever cause of month of, like burning when they go to the next one or, you know, they do it to feel better or superior you know there's all these reasons that people do the shit and then you know they don't give people the tools to succeed they give them just enough to survive and then take the credit for their survival and that's bullshit yes yes mm. that's beautiful actually that is a great you know, way to put it that is a great way to put it. i think it's a great way to end the show actually i want to give you a chance nico to um Tell everybody where they can find you um, and what you yeah. got from So uh, you best can find me on socials because I have a website, but all of a sudden, I don't know what's going on with Google. My domain disappeared, literally. I noticed that today. Yeah. Uh, when I was, I was looking through some stuff and I was yeah, like, what the fuck? disappeared. So social, social media. Yeah. We'll send them there until that's yes. uh, rectified. And uh, yeah, like, if you want to live a full contact life, that's how I can help you. When you learn to embrace everything. Because if you do not dare to embrace the dark, you cannot embrace the light. If you do not dare to open up for the possibility, possibility for pain, you never will be able to, to feel real happiness and joy. Mm. I love it. I appreciate you, Gary. Do you have anything hey, you want to wrap up with? I don't think with? so. We covered a lot of different things, but I just would definitely like to invite you to come back whenever you want. Um, we'll talk. I got another podcast coming Absolutely. out. Absolutely, more about fighting, and like pick your brain on some fighting stuff, right. and then yeah, everything as well. You know, it, it anytime you want, just let us know. Yes, I could yeah, do absolutely. it. Absolutely, the uh, the mm. show that's coming out is Bars and oh, Scars, nice. um, and it's going to be dedicated to combat sports and um, the hip hop culture oh, cool. and music. Uh, so, or you could probably explain yeah. that better, Gary. I that's just kind of gave it my spin. 
but it's for people like mm-hmm. yourself to come on and, and talk about, you know, what you've done in uh, your career. And Gary is super passionate about it. He's going to be an amazing host. I, I love it. So I'll be more than happy to join. Uh, I love you guys' energy. It's nice. Music yeah. is everything. Yeah. <laughs> music, man, like people get the rhythm of their way they fight I, from sometimes the music they listen to and music can take you to a different place. And it, I mean, mm. I, I, besides just the deep shit, it's just the two things I like the most. So that's why I wanted you to show about it. So <laughs> everything's vibration. It works. Well, for a I'm not agreeing, you know, fighting and music are two of the most deep things that we can have. It's so true, so close mm. to what we are. We are animals, we're humans. Mm. It's part of who we are. We're animals and we are vibration. Well, yeah. And that is vibrating music. animals. Mm. Sounds quite orgasmic. <laughs> this sounds yeah. that sounds like a or website. A <laughs> I think they have those. It's a rabbit, <laughs> no, right? I I blow my head. Those dirty. Alright, everybody. Dirty rabbits. Be cool and keep learning. learning.